Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and I'm glad you're here with us this week. We're currently studying the Gospel of Mark together and learning more about the life, ministry, and miracles of Jesus. We'll jump into today's teaching in just a moment, but first, let's hear a quick word from the sponsors of today's episode. This morning, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. And uh, we're going to pick up at verse 24 today. I'm going to read down to verse 37 of Mark chapter 7. And we're going to be talking about the fact that Christ cannot be hidden. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me. Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 24. This is what it says. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. He looked up to heaven, or, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege today to be able to look at your word together and to see these things that were accomplished during the course of the earthly ministry of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful for what we see demonstrated and what we see explained in this portion of scripture. And we're grateful, Lord, for the ways in which the things we're reading here apply to us on a very deep level. Lord, sometimes it's easy to look at portions of Scripture like this and to just think of them simply just through the lens of the event that took place, not realizing the type of things that are being illustrated in these events and in these miracles. So, Father, we pray that as we look at these things, that you'd open up our eyes and our ears and, and our hearts so that ultimately we would understand what we're reading, that we would grow together in our walk with you, that we would rejoice in who you are and the miraculous ways that you intervene in our lives. And we commit this time to you now, Lord. We thank you that you are present with us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this year marks kind of a significant milestone in my life. Uh, It marks the 30th anniversary of my graduation from high school. And uh, anyone that has reached that season or beyond can testify to the fact that it goes very quickly, those 30, those 30 years went very quickly than the 18 that preceded them. 
You know, the 18 that preceded them, you have all sorts of changes taking place in your life, but then once you reach adulthood, it's just different stages of adulthood. And so the next few decades do tend to go a little bit quicker, but it's the 30th. This summer will be the 30th anniversary of my graduation from high school. And so this week, several of the people that I graduated with decided that it would be a good idea to see about getting maybe a conversation going about a potential reunion this summer. Will it happen? Will it not happen? I don't know yet. The conversation just started, but they started a group chat, and throughout the course of the week, been inviting anyone we can find from our graduating class has been invited to this chat, and so much of the week has been filled with conversations and even some entertaining memories about what life was like during that particular season. And one of the things, if you were to talk to the guys that I grew up with, the people that I graduated high school with, one of the things, one of the aspects of that season that many of my closest friends could attest to was the fact that that was a season when I became very serious about my faith in Jesus during my high school years. Now, prior to that season, I claimed to believe in him, but you would have had to look pretty hard to find a whole lot of evidence to support that claim. I was very much one of those people who was trying to have one foot in heaven and another foot in the world. But at the age of 15, that changed, drastically changed. And what happened was God providentially placed several godly influences in my life who showed me what a sincere faith in Jesus Christ looked like. And the Holy Spirit fostered within my heart a desire to fully submit my life to Christ. I'm truly grateful that he chose to do that and that he blessed me in that respect. But at age 15, that's when that all changed. And and, and Christ's presence in my life quickly became obvious to my friends. And I think they would tell you it became obvious in a variety of ways. They noticed that my attitude toward a lot of things changed. They noticed the change. They also noticed that my language, how I perceived things, how I said things, the words that I was willing to speak, that changed as well. They also noticed that my behavior toward other people started to change. And I remember this was right before, oh, how much of the story do I tell since this is being recorded? It doesn't matter. Statute of limitations is done. I remember uh, right before a biology class, uh, a couple of my friends and I got to class early and there were these aquariums that were set up and I happened to look and in one of them there was a, a living tarantula. And I was like, oh, would you look at this? I was like, a living tarantula. And I was like, ooh. And I, I looked at, at some of my friends, and, and they looked at me, and they're like, oh, we know what he's about to do. And so I, I opened the lid, and I was thinking, where am I letting this thing loose? And, uh, and then all of a sudden, conscience activated as the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me, John, maybe you don't do that. And I was like, ooh. And I was like, no, you know what, guys, I don't think I'm going to do this. And I snapped the lid tight again. Put the, it was like one of those plastic aquariums. I put it back up on the counter, and I stepped away from it. And I still remember my friend Bobby looking at me, and he's like, what is going on right now? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what's going on right now? He's like, you're different now. Something changed you. The old John Stonge would have done that in a heartbeat. And I said, this is, this is true. Something has changed me, right? But it, it quickly became crystal clear to my closest friends that I genuinely cared about walking with Christ now that I genuinely cared. I couldn't hide it, nor did I want to hide it. I didn't want to hide it. That, and, and it was moments like that. I think for Bobby, that was the moment that, that it became obvious to him. And I actually remember at that season of time, I remember kind of making peace with this one particular thought. When you're at that season of life, you care more about how you're perceived by your friends than you care about most things in the world. You care about having friends, 
being thought well of by your friends, all of that. And I had this thought that getting serious about my faith in Christ was going to cost me friendships. And I remember making peace with that in my heart. And I, I thought, you know, this is going to cost me something. It's probably going to cost me friendships. I don't, I don't imagine uh, some of these guys that I've spent time growing up with are going to want to spend a whole lot of time with me now that I'm getting serious about these things. But amazingly, it didn't cost me friendships. I was very surprised by that. In many respects, when I look back to that season of time, I had more friends and deeper friendships after Christ became the center of my life than I did before I submitted my life to Him. And that was not only friends that shared my faith, but also friends who didn't share my faith. In fact, I noticed that several people who very much didn't share my faith very much respected the fact that I was taking this very seriously. And I thought that was pretty neat. And when you look at the time of Christ's earthly ministry that's described in a passage like we just read together, at that season, his name was becoming widely known. Word of him was starting to spread all over the the place, and the effect that he was having on people's lives was becoming very, very evident. He couldn't be hidden. Even if people wanted to hide him, he couldn't be hidden. And in the portion of Scripture we just read from Mark chapter 7, we started with verse 24, but that illustrates this fact thoroughly. Now, let me reread the first few verses again for us, because there it says this. It says, And from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So when you look at Christ's earthly ministry, when you see the things that took place, you you see his his birth, you see uh, the glimpses were given, just the brief glimpse were given of him growing up, and then you see him inaugurate his uh, earthly ministry, you see that he was ministering to the Jewish people. He was born among the Jewish people. And as he was serving among the Jewish people, he was developing a reputation among them as a teacher, as a healer, as a prophet. We also see when we look at some of the miracles taking place here that some were even convinced that he was the long-promised Messiah, which he was, and they desired to make him their king. Some even had the thought that they might do that by force. And large crowds were gathering to hear whatever Jesus said. They wanted to be wherever he went, wherever his disciples went. And so for a season, you have Jesus deciding to pay a visit to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And if you know anything about the region of Tyre and Sidon, you know that it's a primarily Gentile area. That area is primarily Gentile. And so some theologians look at this, and they think that this may have been an attempt on his part to maybe go to an area where he wouldn't be so highly recognized. Because among the Jewish people that he had come to serve, he was highly recognized. So people think, well, maybe he went to Tyre and Sidon to spend some time among the Gentiles, at least in part to be in an area where he might be able to get some rest or a respite. It's also believed that the house that he probably visited while he was there was very likely the home of a Jewish family that was living in that region, although the Scripture doesn't say specifically, but very likely that was the case. But as Christ was there, as he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, one of the things that we discover in looking at this is that his reputation had already preceded him. His reputation made it there before he did, right? He couldn't be hidden. And you have a Gentile woman here referenced in this passage of Scripture who heard that he was in her region, and she decides to do something bold. She finds the house that he's staying at, and she bows down at his feet with reverence 
and respect. The Scripture tells us a little bit more of the details. The Scripture tells us that she had a daughter, and we're told that this daughter was a little daughter. So, you know, I'm just picturing just a little child, maybe maybe a toddler, maybe somebody who would be, you know, six or seven years old, but she had a daughter who was having a problem. The specific problem that the Scripture identifies here is that this little daughter, this little girl, was possessed by a demon, and uh, in desperation, she comes to Jesus and she seeks deliverance on behalf of her child. She's thinking, you know, if, if anyone can do anything for us, he certainly can. I've heard of him doing these things for other people. I wonder if he might choose in his mercy to free my daughter. And uh, I think any loving parent can identify with this woman's desperation. If you, if you had a little daughter, if you had a little child, wouldn't you do something like this for your child? Wouldn't you, you know, be willing to even humiliate yourself in front of somebody else? so that you could get the help that your child needed. You'd do anything you, that was required to get that child well. And so I think any loving parent can identify with the emotions that this woman was feeling and even the desperation that she was feeling. But she, we're told here that she literally begged Jesus for help. She begged him. But his initial response is kind of interesting because what he was doing here was giving an opportunity for her faith to be tested a bit. And not only tested for her sake, but tested so that others who would hear of this account could watch how this testing took place and see her faith demonstrated by the words that she chose to speak. A big portion of this, I think, is for our benefit, not just for the woman's benefit. Yes, it's beneficial to her to have her faith tested and shown to be genuine, but it's beneficial to us to be able to understand what she was actually thinking. And the only way we would really know that is because of what she said. And so Jesus tested her and gave her the opportunity to reply. And she replies in a very specific way, but he tests the sincerity of her faith. And when you look at verse 27, you see that test. And he said to her, and this, I don't know, when I read this a moment ago, I'd be curious to know if this puzzled anybody when I first read this. And you're like, why did Jesus seem so favorably disposed to what this woman said? Because when you look at it on on the surface, you're like, what does this even mean? But this this is what happens here. It says, and he said to her, let the children be fed first. So she's asking for him to heal her daughter. But he says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And I think a lot of times we could look at that and say, like, I don't know what he means by that. What does he mean? And then verse 28 says, but she answered him, yes, Lord. So she's agreeing with him. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Christ is quite pleased with this. Verse 29 reveals that. It says, and he said to her, for this statement, you may, go on, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. It's a fascinating thing. Now, I, I don't know if you like dogs or not. Some of you probably love dogs and some of you probably don't love dogs. I, I actually, people are surprised to hear this because I don't have a dog. I had every kind of pet growing up, by the way. If you came to our house growing up, you would have thought, that we lived at a zoo. It was that close, right? I mean, we had every kind of pet that you could imagine. And, uh, but I always had like, I don't know, like slight issues with my breathing and stuff like that. And then I noticed when I would go away, I was able to breathe better. And I discovered mainly as an adult, yeah, you have an allergy. That's what's called an allergy. So I I grew up and like my, my sister used to take, she used to go to an allergist and all that, but my allergy was just subtle enough that I was able to, I didn't take any medicine. I just was, uh, I don't know, I just couldn't breathe that well sometimes, right? (laughs) No problem. I could breathe just enough to make it through. 
I didn't realize I was an adult. I had no idea. I've always liked dogs. It, and here's the thing, whether I like dogs or not, they like me. I've noticed that. My wife gets a kick out of it. This is a little test. If I ever visit your house and you have a dog, let's, let's do this test. Um, she, she gets the biggest kick out of it because she knows I'm trying not to pet the dogs too much because I'm going to start sneezing. My eyes are going to get all watery, but she knows that I like dogs. And, um, and so I'll just sit there and I won't do anything. And before you know it, the dog will come and hang out. And I'll be like, oh, here we are, aren't we? Here we are. And I'm like, you, you know I like you, don't you? Like, you could just tell. Dogs just know, don't they? It's like, you know I like you. And the dog, you know, in its own way, will be like, yeah, I know. I know. It's like, do you know about the allergy? You know, as I'm having this conversation with the dog. Yeah, I know. Irrelevant to me. Scratch the ear. Do it. <laughs> right? So I don't know if you like dogs or not. Most people do, some people don't. Some have allergies, some don't. I have, I have several friends who not only enjoy having dogs as pets, but they, I think if you ask them, uh, I even have some members of my family that if you ask them, uh, they would tell you that they consider dogs to be one of God's greatest blessings to human beings. And there's probably some of you that feel exactly that same way. But even still, even if you really like dogs, even if you have dogs, even if you consider them one of God's greatest blessings, to humanity, even still, I highly doubt you would enjoy being called a dog yourself. I don't think you would enjoy it. I would be shocked if you enjoyed it, but maybe you do. I don't know. I doubt it, right? I think most people would not enjoy being called a dog for any reason, because typically when that term is used toward another person, it's not meant to be a compliment. You know, I mean, I could think of some, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, what's up, dog, right? That just means give a high five, right? That might be the one exception. But other than that, when people call somebody a dog, um, they're not meaning it as a compliment. And when you look at what was taking place during the time of Christ's earthly ministry, Jesus would at time, or excuse me, uh, here you have Jesus using that term, but what would happen at that time was Jews would oftentimes call Gentiles dogs. They did not mean it in a complimentary way. And, um, and so some people, when they look at what Jesus says here, they actually wonder if that's the way Jesus was using the phrase dog in this passage. They're like, knowing that that was a common insult, a common way that Gentiles would be referred to by certain Jewish people, they wondered, all right, is that how Jesus is using the term dog here? Is he speaking to this woman? Now, others point out the fact that the actual word that Jesus is using here for dog is a, is a word that would be more commonly used to describe a household pet more so than like a wild beast or a, a scavenging beast or something like that. So in some respects, you look at that and you say, all right, but he's kind of using this like household pet term. But either way, you have Jesus giving this woman an analogy. And the point of the analogy is this. What he's saying to her is this, that the initial focus of his ministry was to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. Now look again at the way he says it. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So people look like, they're like, wait a second, are you saying that it's not right for the bread that was meant for the, for the children of Abraham, the Jewish people, to be thrown to the Gentile dogs? Is that what you're, is that what you're getting at, right? And it does seem to be what he's getting at here. You know, he gives this woman the analogy to help her understand that the, the initial focus of his ministry was to bring the message of the gospel to the Jewish people. That was the focus of his ministry initially, right? So Jesus told her that this bread was for the children first before it would be shared 
with others, but I love the Gentile woman's response. Because as Jesus says this, she doesn't disagree. She doesn't even resent his analogy. You know, when you look at her comments, what does she say? But she answered him, yes, Lord. So what's she doing? She's, not, she's agreeing. She's saying, yes, I, I agree. Right? She's not disagreeing with him. She's not debating. Her comments were actually complimentary in a sense when, when you look at it and see that she agrees with him. But she points out that even when children are being fed, so this is her statement here, that even when children are being fed, loved family pets are typically blessed with something under the table at the same time. That's true, isn't it? You know, when you're feeding your kids, don't you sneak a little something to the dog? And if you don't, the dogs will. I got it. We had a, we had, um, a dachshund, one of those hot dogs, right? And I remember at one point, this was, this was my senior year of high school, uh, we had made some sort of pasta and the sauce on it none of us liked. And so I didn't eat that much of it, and I walked out into the kitchen, and I, I gave it to the dog, and I was like, eat that, eat that. And the, the dog ate it, and we're good to go. And uh, apparently none of us knew it, but all of us did that. <laughs> and then a little while later, you hear a moaning from the, the kitchen, and I was like, what is wrong with the dog? And I, I looked out there, and the dog looks all bloated and real. Like, it's very obvious that that little dog had eaten a lot of food. And I was like, why are you like this? And then one of my sisters said, oh, you know what? I gave the dog my pasta. And I was like, oh, I did too. And then my other sister was like, oh, I did too. And I was like, how many plates of food did this little dog eat? We're like, oh, not good, not good. But we all, if you have a dog, you know you sneak that dog food. You, and you know your kids are doing it too. Sneaking the food under the table, right? And so this woman is saying what? She's saying, look, even, even a loved family pet typically gets blessed with something under the table at the same time that the kids are eating. And in saying this, what is she doing? She's demonstrating a degree of humility, isn't she? She's also demonstrating faith that Jesus is the one who can meet her need. She's demonstrating both in this answer. She doesn't let the things that have been said, or an analogy of how people typically would look at the Gentiles from a Jewish perspective, because some of this I think he's saying as like, Commonly, people would say this. So why, do you th- why should I do something for you? Because commonly, this is what you should expect to receive from, from someone of my tradition towards someone of your tradition. And she's saying, look, I know you can help me. And uh, even, even pets get a little something under the table. And I think Jesus' response must have warmed this woman's heart because he demonstrated compassion for her. And, uh, and he did this even though she wasn't a Jew. He demonstrates compassion for her. Scripture tells us he miraculously healed her daughter with a a simple word from his mouth. He declares it to be so. She's not even right there in his presence. And he declares it to be so, and he made it clear to her that he delighted in her genuine and persistent faith. You know, he says what? For this statement, you may go on your way. He's like, you get it. For this statement, you may go on your way. I see your faith, and your daughter's going to be made well. He made it clear he delighted in this. And then the scripture tells us that Jesus took time to travel to the region of the Decapolis where he was asked to heal someone else. So in verse 31, we read, you know, right on the heels of this taking place, it says, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. You know what that means, Decapolis, when you see that? It's the region of the 10 cities, Decapolis. 
And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So everywhere Jesus goes, people want to receive the benefit of his healing, the benefit of his touch. And here, but again, it says this man was deaf and he had a speech impediment. Now, when I think about physical limitations that would make it very difficult for me to do the things that I enjoy, deafness is certainly one of those limitations. Uh, from the time I was young, I've always enjoyed listening to music. I would be very sad to lose that ability. At present, I'm highly involved in, in recording and editing all kinds of media, particularly podcasts. In addition to that, I, I uh, do voiceover type things, and I like recording and editing these things, sometimes even commercials. And so I look at this and I think, all right, losing the ability to hear, that would be big. That is not a small thing. That would impact me greatly. Losing the ability to hear, that would have a major impact on what I do, as would losing the ability to speak clearly. And so you have this man's friends saying, we've got to get help for our friend. He can't hear, and he can't speak clearly, and it's impacting all kinds of areas of life. It's very easy to identify with the struggle that this man is going through. I think about it from a very personal standpoint, but I know that we could all identify it. I identify with it, and Scripture here tells us that as Jesus was in the region of the Decapolis, this man was brought to him. And again, the people who brought this man to him, obviously they cared very much about his well-being, so they, just, they come to Jesus very much in the same spirit that that, that Gentile mother came on, on behalf of her daughter, and they come to Jesus and they beg him to make the man well. They look at Christ and they just, will you please make our friend well? And again, I don't blame this group of people. I don't blame these friends for making this kind of request of Jesus. When I look at this, I think, if I had that need, and I knew he could heal me, I would be seeking his healing touch as well. I think all of us would. Whether you, whether you used your hearing and your voice for what you do vocationally, or whether you use your hearing and your voice for what you do relationally. It doesn't matter. You would want it back. You would want those senses back. So I don't blame them for wanting that. But by this time in Jesus' ministry, you probably notice this as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, there's a pattern that started to emerge. There's a pattern here that started to develop. Now, it's beautiful to see people coming to him, but we have to ask, why are they coming? Because this reveals the pattern. And the pattern is this. You wonder, when you look at these, these people as they're coming to Christ, you wonder, were they coming to him because they were aware of their deepest needs? Or were they coming to him primarily to have comfort, to have either their physical needs or their material needs met? You know, could, they, could these people identify the void that existed in their souls and their genuine need for healing and forgiveness and restoration that comes on the spiritual level, or did they just want their bellies filled and their ailments to go away? And, and we know the answer. Most of the people that came to Christ during this season of his ministry, they mainly wanted their bellies filled and their ailments to go away. They wanted earthly discomforts ended as quickly as possible. And by the way, lest we make this too much about other people, I want to just challenge us. If it's your desire to grow spiritually, and I know for some of you that's very much your desire, so I'm going to issue a challenge here to us so that we're not making the mistake that many of the crowds made as they came to Jesus. Again, they were coming to him for physical comforts, not wrong to ask for those things, but it seems that that was their primary concern. So I want to challenge us, notice your own prayer life. Notice your own prayers. Notice what you pray for. 
Do you primarily pray for earthly comfort and the end of ailments, or do you ever come to the Lord and ask Him to deepen your walk spiritually? Do you ever pray for spiritual needs, either for your spiritual needs or for the spiritual needs of others? How prominent are those on your, on your prayer request list? Where you pray, Lord, please help me to draw closer to you, even in the midst of whatever trial or discomfort I may experience. I know you have a purpose for it, so Lord, help me to grow closer to you in the midst of it. Heal me spiritually. Help me to develop spiritually. Help me to mature spiritually. These are the type of things that we should also be praying for. Again, it's not wrong to pray that our bellies be filled. It's not wrong to pray that our ailments be healed. Those are fine too. But unfortunately, it was very much off balance with the people that were coming to Christ. They were only thinking about earthly needs. They weren't thinking about anything beyond that. And I just want to issue that challenge to encourage us to identify what do I actually ask the Lord to intervene on my behalf for? And when I, ask for pray, when I pray before the Lord for other people, do I ever ask that he would develop their spiritual life? Do I ever ask that he would develop my spiritual life? Do I ever ask that he'd make my faith stronger? Or do I just want to make my comfort greater? But here, you have this group of people coming to Jesus, bringing their friend. And so it tells us something that Jesus does here. And it's interesting to see this when you look at verse 35, or 33 through through 35. But it says, And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. It's a beautiful scripture because mercifully, what does Jesus do? He heals the man. He pulls him away from the crowd, doesn't make a spectacle of his healing, but he restored his hearing. He also restores his ability to speak. It's a beautiful thing. So Jesus ordered his ears to be opened and his tongue to be released, and it was so. And when you look at Mark's record of this miraculous event, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to rejoice in this, but also, please understand the deeper application of a miracle like this, the deeper application that it's meant to demonstrate to us, because the truth is, you know, I, I just mentioned to you how when I look at this, I think, boy, that would be a very difficult ailment for me to do the things that I enjoy doing. I don't know that I'd get to do them if I had that ailment. So I think about that, and I think, yeah, that, that, would, be, that would be hard to deal with, but understand when you look at something like this, we were deaf. It's meant to illustrate more than just a physical activity. We were deaf. We had ears that didn't work. We had tongues that weren't functioning properly as well. Let me show you what I mean by this. In Proverbs 18, it says this. Verse 2, it says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. What does that reveal to us about human nature? Scripture tells us that apart from Christ, what were we? We lived as enemies of God and we lived as fools. Enemies and fools, it's not a very pretty picture that gets painted of us apart from knowing Christ. And then you look at what Proverbs reveals to us, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Meaning, ears are closed, mouth is expressing something, but it's silliness, and ears are closed to truth. And that's one of the most visible demonstrations of foolishness, and that's a spot that all humanity wrestles with. Every one of us has been in that spot. Every one of us has played the role of the fool, where we weren't really seeking understanding, we just wanted to be heard. We just wanted to say, we just wanted affirmation for what came out of 
our mouths. This world is filled with people who love themselves. This world is filled with people who love their own opinions more than they love receiving the kind of understanding or instruction that can only be received through the intervening presence of the Holy Spirit. And before his merciful intervention in our lives, this was very much the case for us as well. We were not interested in hearing from God. Our preference was to to voice and vent our own thoughts. That's what we cared about. That's what we wanted to do. Sometimes when I look back over the course of my life, I actually wonder how many times I heard the message of the gospel before I finally listened to it. And I have no idea what the answer to that would be. I would assume it was many, many times. I'm sure I heard the message of the gospel many times before I actually listened to it. I actually wonder the same thing when I interact with others. You know, I think of certain family members that I love deeply, and I know they've heard the gospel, but I'm not terribly convinced they've listened yet. They've heard it, but they haven't listened. I think of the, like I said, you know, this week I've been talking with friends I grew up with all throughout the course of the week. It's been very entertaining. I have all these people I grew up with. I know many of them have heard the gospel, but have they listened to it yet? Have our ears been opened to the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Love what the Apostle Paul tells us about the importance of hearing, like deeper level hearing. In Romans 10, verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But isn't it interesting, as Paul was quoting from Isaiah, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Sometimes we hear. Sometimes we believe. Sometimes we think that our hearing is fine, and then it turns out that our hearing isn't working at all because we're not actually hearing with the heart. Scripture tells us faith comes from hearing. Hearing in the natural sense certainly helps, but the kind of hearing that really needs to take place is the hearing that occurs in the heart of anyone who has had the ears of their heart opened by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they might hear and receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because when you look at the verses right after uh, uh, this healing that takes place in Mark 7, when you look at verse 36, Mark 7, it says, after Jesus heals the man, and Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Such a fascinating thing to be able to look at all these things taking place here and the things that Christ was revealing. And by the way, human nature is a very interesting thing, isn't it? You know, when you tell someone to share something, they often don't. And when you tell someone, keep this to yourself, they just can't wait to tell somebody else, right? Human nature always wants to do the opposite of what it's being told. So Jesus told the people who witnessed the effects of this miracle to stay quiet for a time about it. But what do they do? They zealously make it known. Jesus couldn't be hidden. Now, it wasn't his desire that this be hidden forever, but he was operating on a timeline of certain things that were supposed to be revealed gradually during the course of his earthly ministry, and then it would culminate 
with it all being revealed very, very clearly in his resurrection. And by the way, do you ever wonder if for some people, though, their favorite verse in the entire Bible is the first half of verse 36? And Jesus charged them to tell no one. I think there are some people that are going to make it to heaven and and be like, you know, Lord, thank you for that verse. I succeeded. I told no one. I told no one. You know, forgetting what it tells us in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And by the way, it's not just talking about somebody that's a preacher, right? It's talking about anyone who's willing to to open their mouth and speak what the Holy Spirit's revealed to their heart through the Word of God, through the message of the gospel, right? But there are going to be many people that are like, yep, I told no one. I succeeded. For some people, that's their life verse, right? Their life verse. I told no one. How about this? For us, let's not let that be our life verse. You know, Jesus for a season here is saying, hey, be quiet, but also he's quite aware of human nature. And what ends up happening? Tell no one. Oh, so you want us to tell everyone, right? And it tells us what happens. They they were astonished. They zealously proclaimed it. Here's the thing. Let me say this as we finish up. You know this and I know this. This world needs to hear the gospel. The evidence of that is everywhere. The evidence of that is all around us. This world needs the ears of their heart miraculously opened so that they may believe, just as each and every one of us did. Some of us came to faith in Christ as adults. Some of us came to faith in Christ as as, uh, teenagers. Some of us came to faith in Christ as young people. Whatever age you were, the Holy Spirit miraculously opened the the ears of your heart to be able to hear. You you heard and you responded. The world needs that miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. This world also needs their tongues miraculously loosed so that they can testify to the miraculous work that Christ has done in their lives. Very simply, let me just say this very simply as we finish up. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you. Don't be so enamored with your own opinions. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you, and then use your voice to testify to the miracle that Jesus has done within you. It's hard to argue with a sincere testimony. So speak up. Don't be silent. Keep listening to the Holy Spirit and His guidance all along the way. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Your Word together. Thank You for the fact that as we look at what took place during this season of Christ's earthly ministry, we see that Your Son could not be hidden. And Father, we pray that the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, would not be hidden in our lives either. Whether that be in our attitudes or our actions, whether it be the way we interact with other people, the language we choose to use, the things we say or don't say, we pray that your Son would not be some hidden facet or some hidden relationship that we have. Lord, we know that in the midst of our life in this world, there are it seems like one of the, the things that we are most fearful of is the ridicule or criticism or critique that could come if we dare to take a position on something. We dare to speak up about something. It seems to be one of our greatest fears. And so for that reason, many of us feel compelled to just keep quiet, 
and tell no one and say nothing because we don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to irritate somebody. We think that, we think that in taking a side or having a testimony that that, that, that somehow is going to, to set the world against us. And when we look at your word, we realize the world's already set against us. The world's set against you. The world is set against those who follow you, but yet you protect us in the midst of it. And you tell us in your word that you've set us free here on this earth to be your ambassadors during the the brief time that we have, that many would come to know you. So Lord, we're grateful for that privilege. We're grateful for the fact that, that you love us enough to reveal the truth to us, that you love us enough to mercifully open up our ears and our hearts to understand and receive the message of your gospel, but you've also loosened our tongues so that we could speak the message of the gospel, even as we just testify to what you've done in our lives. So, Lord, we pray that as those opportunities are presented before us, that we would take them, that we would be very intentional and very delighted to speak as men and women who know you and love you. And, Lord, I don't know where each of us present in this context heard the gospel, but I do know this, someone spoke up. Someone said something. Someone we heard the message of the gospel because you utilized one or many of your ambassadors on this earth to proclaim it in some fashion. Maybe they wrote something down, maybe they taught something, maybe they conversationally shared something, maybe they just gave a, uh, a brief overview of their personal life story. And we heard it, and we recognized that we needed the intervening power of your son Jesus Christ to rescue us as well. So, Lord, thank you for however we heard it, but I pray, Lord, that we would be a link in that chain for somebody else and that you would give us the strength that your Holy Spirit supplies as we trust in you and as he works in our lives. So we're grateful for these things, and we're grateful, Lord, for these examples that we had the privilege to just spend a few moments looking at from your word today. We pray that we would take these things to heart, that you'd bring to our mind that the concerned mother, that that you'd bring to our mind the, the man who couldn't hear and couldn't speak very well, who had that restored, and that we would see a little glimpse of ourselves and how you miraculously work in our lives through their testimonies. As we look at the example of what you did in them, we pray that we would be reminded of what you desired to do within us. Thank you, Lord, for your love and for your presence with us right now. We commit ourselves to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.